Hello and welcome to Design Untangled with me, Chris Mears and Carl Lindarte and a very special guest, a friend of the podcast. I'm not sure if you consider yourself a friend, but you're <laughs> our most prominent guest now clocking in at two appearances, over 20 episodes, Christine Lee. How's it going, everyone? Hi. Hello. Well, this is the first time we do, a, what do you call that in English, trio? A threesome, yeah. <laughs> a threesome? I'm not sure I wanted to participate in this, but... <laughs> <laughs> but that's so cool. Like, we're live and we're, like, three of us talking at the same time. That's amazing. I love technology. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Three people talking who would ever thought computers could get that far by 2018. <laughs> Mental. Yeah. Who, who knew at the start of the internet era? Yeah, not me for sure. I was still in nappies at that time, even though sure, I was like sure, 14 sure, probably. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, yeah, right. what the hell are we talking about today? Uh, I think we're talking about um, research analysis. And that's why we have like um, lovely Christina joining us because, well, she's actually a researcher. Yeah, unlike us imposters over here. <laughs> claiming to do research every now and then but but research so what do we mean with research analysis sorry christina i'm interrupting you no no problem someone talk (laughs) (laughs) i'm asking you the question (laughs) well yeah it's a really question what do we mean and when does it start and where does it fit into um a a process yeah i think it's one of the it's one of the more mysterious parts of the whole ux and design process so you get your users in you show them some stuff they do some stuff like how do you turn those observations into stuff that's actually useful for you as a designer Mm. Mm -hmm. well i think a good way to start is when they're coming in to do some stuff like make sure you have the notes to help you to do the analysis you need so whether that's uh someone transcribing for you um exactly what the participant had said or whether you as a team you sort of um make sure you have one insight or one quote per post-it note written down that will help you later on in the process and and i suggested a transcript because um when you're in the lab as a researcher or observing, we tend to jump to conclusion or we introduce our biases. We use our shortcuts. Oh, they said this. It must be so-and-so. But when you actually read through a transcription again or look at your notes written down as it is, you realize some of your own biases and the conclusions you've drawn and you get to look again at what actually has been said and how the participant has behaved. Yeah, I think it's definitely yeah. good to have that kind of record of stuff because I know when you you know you can be doing sessions across three days or something and aside from all the bias stuff by that point you're probably going to be pretty sapped for for energy Mm. not paying as much attention as you were in session one which is usually the case so it's good to have that kind of record to go back on and exactly also like I I used to just uh, do lots of like debriefs after each session so that really helps especially if you're like with a team. Um, I think I've said this before in other podcasts, but I wouldn't do research unless you have at least two people, like at least one person taking notes on the other one, like conducting the research. And then after you finish your session, whether you're in a lab or you outside doing some kind of guerrilla testing, um, you can just like break, take a break for 15 minutes and kind of together do some debrief. And you can use um, affinity mapping, which... 
let's explain to people what affinity mapping is. So, Christina, what do you, how do you define affinity mapping? Affinity mapping to me is actually like, like I said, when you had the um, insights or your notes written down, uh, whether it's on Post-it or so forth, you can start looking at groupings of similar patterns of behavior or similar things that participants said or things you have observed. And each of these grouping then forms a theme or description of what has happened. And that's how you start seeing themes emerging from your research or um, bigger insights coming out of it. Yeah, I find when I'm doing affinity mapping, it normally takes a couple of passes. So you'll probably start the session or the analysis session just with millions of random post-its all over the place. And the first pass is normally just grouping them by category. So you might have some stuff you saw or observed around, I don't know, the checkout, for example. Um, And that's a good kind of way to initially get things grouped. But then you're looking within those groups themselves. Are there any themes that come out from those, like either within that category or that map across to other categories as well. So it's normally a couple of stage Yeah, so you're looking at relation. But I think that's a really good point because how detailed do you need to go or should you go? Because you can go multiple passes and you start seeing a bigger theme, a smaller and smaller grouping. So it's actually finding the right balance that works with the team Mm -hmm. you're with. I guess it also helps then, um, I mean, just this is based on my experience, when you plan your research. I mean, you have to plan your research in a way that you are more clear about what you're trying to achieve. So it's kind of like, what's the outcome I want from this research? And let's start planning backwards. So what I mean with this is that if you could come up with a framework from the beginning that allows you to accelerate the process of analysis. So that framework could be based on a journey, like as Chris mentioned, like let's, we're going to look in in this research piece, we're only going to look at checkout and at the basket, for example. But it might be situations where you want to kind of um, go deeper into other areas or um, look at how people, for example, I did a piece of research of how people um, use mobile in store so we can look into okay how they use mobile in the sense of um, taking pictures or Mm. so you kind of come up with your own hypothesis and uh, initially so it helps you frame a little bit more how you conduct the research as well as how you actually pull the insights yeah so you've already defined what your acceptable outcome would be in a way exactly which helps I mean obviously you have to be open-minded though because sometimes you find things that you didn't expect but at least it allows you to have some structure yeah so yeah so I think uh, the way I do my discussion guide is obviously like have the research questions but also I make notes on what I would like to observe to do a check Mm -hmm. of if they have gets complete completed the scenarios as we wanted or whatever your outcome is and then we do the debrief and sometimes, yeah, we can talk through the results like you have mentioned, Carla. But I would like to f- ask the question, like, what was surprising to everyone? Because that's when you know what everyone's thinking that didn't quite match to their expectations. Mm. And you learn from that as well. Um, what do you think the... So the research is obviously the one that generally runs the sessions and stuff, but how much of a front seat should they take when you're going back with the team and actually analyzing those findings is it more mm. of a facilitator type role or are you driving the analysis based on what you've observed well for me i like to work with the team because 
um, it's to really reduce the bias that I've mentioned before about, um, you know, we, we kind of only remember bits and pieces of information or we jump to conclusions ourselves. And if, if your team has spent the time observing the research with you, why can't we talk about it together? Mm-hmm. I think you could act as a facilitator um, and then kind of like trying to prove, especially if you're not working with researchers as well, which is normally the case, like you could act as a researcher on a project, but then work with like UX designers or, you know, visual designers, or even I used to even bring BAs and you know, PMs into yeah. the sessions mm-hmm. um, just to kind of create some empathy from them to, to the users. But so you could act as a, as a um, facilitator, I guess, and obviously as a researcher, you'd be the one um, leading and framing the insight creation generation. But it, as you said, it's really um, valuable to listen what other people have to say as well because, you know, it removes the biases, as you mentioned. Yeah, I've, and I think it's good to bring in different disciplines because everyone has their own, I guess, business view, user view their own agenda if you like and is actually talking those through from what you have observed as well i think it can be helping to guide if these people are new to ux and research you can get you know you might get some people saying oh they didn't like the color red or whatever and you have to kind of guide them a bit deeper so get to the core of what that observation actually was so was it that they just missed it because something else was distracting or they just weren't expecting that that button at that point in the flow or whatever so there's a bit of mentoring I suppose in helping translate those observations into stuff that's actually useful for you to move forward yeah, I think on that mm. point I will add um, I think we when we do analysis people tend to jump to solutions rather mm-hmm. than looking at what have we seen? Why Why is it that thing we had observed? Why did the participants say those things? So I always, so I sort of break it into two parts usually. The first part is, okay, just just take a slow and think about what we had seen, start grouping, and we don't talk about solutions. Our outcomes should be at this point, what are the themes that has emerged and why has it occurred? And then you yeah. park any solutions you have, like don't talk about solutions, take a break, come back and do the second part, you can talk about solutions and actions all you like based on yeah. the groupings that we had done earlier. I think that totally makes sense. The The only thing I would say, or and it's not a disagreement, I completely agree, depending on the type of research that you're doing. I'm just going to like talk about an example of um, a project I was on. We were like testing a mobile uh, payment journey for a mobile banking app. And what we did was like, we observed that people were in like the kind of tap- tapability of the some of the um, icons wasn't great and they needed more contrast. And I had already spoken to the visual designer about it, but he kind of refused to to change that. So he said, okay, let's let's just go with it. And we started like going through the tasks with the users. And I mean, I know I, I agree with you, we shouldn't jump into conclusions, mm. but sometimes what we do in an agile project um, is try to make the changes on the go, not on the go, but for the next session. So what we did, like, okay, let's just do the first four uh, sessions with this design. And we had a visual designer a developer sitting in the room next door and they actually made changes uh, on this 
um, in the prototype mm-hmm. for the other sessions in the day. Um, I mean, I know that what I this is a different type of question that you're trying to answer, right? Because it's just about tapability, but still, you know, valuable to make the change. And then we realize that people were actually getting it and like going through the the journey much quicker and easier. So sometimes, depending again, just all depends on what you're testing and what you're actually researching. Uh, you could actually make changes and make decisions on the go just to kind of try. Um, and see if you can improve experience quicker. Yeah, I mean, like we do that too in um, in the research we do. But I think it is, like you say, it really depends on how complex that problem you see right now is. If it's, let's say we've sometimes done silly mistakes on a prototype, that's easily fixable and we can work from it as well. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, sometimes it's just the prototype, prototype is broken. Yeah, and <laughs> People then, can't get it. It's stopping you. The button or, doesn't work. Or you can just see, oh, like you say, it's just t- fixing that um, tapability experience. Then that is an easy fix relatively compared to maybe some of the bigger themes that might emerge from the research as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess one cautionary note on that is as UX designers, we you know we do like to solutionize as much as the best person and we can see free users doing something and then we'll be like oh I just need to tweak this and that will sort it out but it might be the case that that actually wrecks it for the next three users you see so I do agree you should probably fix like stupid obvious mistakes on your prototypes whilst you're testing in the session but it probably depends how many users you're testing with and how deep the problem you're trying to kind of fix on the hoof is as to whether you do it or not. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. As I said, it was just another angle because um, sometimes you have less budget for testing. Sometimes you just have like, oh, I managed to convince the client to do one round of use testing and you kind of want to get it as, you know, as right as possible. But yeah, you're absolutely right. We, as UX designers, we already see, oh, I see the problem. The button is too small, yeah. whatever. Um, and we have to kind of step back a bit and focus more about what what is it that we, we're trying to learn with that piece of research. Yeah, and I think this is where the role of the researcher comes in. It is to help the team to be more certain and to answer the questions that the team has. So that's why, like, as a researcher, I like working with the team to do not only to research together, but work through what the questions are, how we actually plan the session. Can we do some pilot run ourselves to make sure it works? Okay, on the day, it's pretty much a teamwork. You help me with the notes and I do the sessions and then come together and do the analysis and go through what we have yeah. observed. Yeah, because you've got to think, like you're not doing this research and the analysis for the sake of it. That analysis has to lead to some kind of outcome. Yeah. Um, and that outcome might be, you know, building or changing a feature. It might be raising awareness of a particular issue in the organization. So it comes back to outlining what your research goals are, which I think we've spoken before about quite a few times in this podcast. Um, but yeah, you have to understand where what your learning goes and what it does and what it can influence and who it can influence as well. Yeah. And I guess it's also like, I don't know, we always talk about insights and I I understand what an insight is, but I know it's hard to get into an insight, if that makes sense. I mean, um, it is hard, is it to, hard even to get explain. insight on insight. 
Exactly, isn't it? Like you, you're kind of like, oh, that's the inside. But it's kind of, you have to go through the process. You have to really understand what you're trying to achieve and you suddenly find the insight. Um, but the definition of what an insight is, is quite hard to define, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if I could even do it. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's like it could some of some of insights and the the ones that I like are more actionable. Mm. But then again, it all depends on the stage of the project that you're on and um, yeah. what you're trying to achieve with your research. I agree. If it's more exploratory or at the beginning stage when you don't know much about it, to me, the insight is more about how people behave or yeah. general behavior. Yeah. Right? They tend to do this or that. So you have some starting point in the next round, but as you get more and more certain about the product or the service you're doing, then how you define insight will be very different. I think it goes back to what the yeah. goal of the research is. What what do you think is acceptable? Yeah, I guess in the early stages, an insight is probably likely to be something new that you've learned about how users behave or what they do. Yeah. And when you're getting closer towards defining an optimal solution, so you're refining it, basically, your insights are more around what approach is more effective than another, I suppose. Yeah, it could be, I think, at the mm -hmm. beginning, it's like a funnel. You don't know what it is, comes out of it. And then towards the end, you, your insight might be even specific things like, like what we're talking about, the size of the buttons didn't work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I was like, I, I remember I had this project with a retail client um, many years ago, and we have a we had a research agency involved in the project, and we were testing the design of a homepage, right? And I was like, okay, first of all, I don't know how we just tested a homepage, but they're really keen. I would like, let's do some testing. So okay, it was a static image basically. And then they, they kept like, we did like three rounds of testing and then the biggest insight is like, people don't get the proposition. It's like, what do you actually mean? And I kept asking them like, oh, just say, yeah, people are not getting the proposition. I was like, what do you mean? What's, what's, the, what's the insight? <laughs> exactly. Like if you, if it takes you like five minutes to write down in a piece of paper, it's not an insight, right? I don't, I was like, what do you mean? Well, basically what they were trying to say is that the copy didn't explain the kind of the, uh, the value proposition of the company. Okay. I was like, okay, it's not so they that didn't makes get sense. It. The content didn't help them to get it. Exactly. Like people don't understand it. And obviously we need a sign up from the client, but because they came back saying that, you know, the, the, the design doesn't communicate the proposition, it was really hard for me. I had to say, like, can you please explain with act, like actionable insight? Just change the copy because it's confusing. Okay, mm. we're going to change it. But it was really hard. So sometimes we think insights um, need to be very high level and very like fluffy. But sometimes you just need, especially yeah. as a UX designer, you just need solution or not solution, but at least uh, you know an area of focus for you to find the solution. Yeah, I think that it's also some. It just reminded me of something like um, you know in the lab you you might have the sample size five people, and then people will go on and go. Oh, 100% of people said this. And I'm like, no, only five people have said this. You can't use 100%. <laughs> yes. how, can you, how can you say 100% when your sample size is five? Or, or go, yeah. oh, as we can see, four or five people do this, therefore all my customers are going to do that. No, again, it's a very small group of people. They might tend to behave in that way. But you need to, if possible, you need to 
maybe look into some quantitative data to back up if you're making mm. really important business decisions. We need to recognize the boundaries of behavioral mm. research. Exactly. I mean, it is a way of complementing. Like if you're thinking about whether or not a product is feasible or desirable by customers, I mean, you could do some qualitative research, but if the business is going to make the decision based on that, that is wrong, right? You really need to yeah. go deeper into like behavioral, you know, data. You need a bigger or... sample. Yeah. Exactly, because otherwise it's not gonna it's not gonna work. Yeah, I think it, it's uh, don't get me wrong. Like research is so powerful when we get it right,、mm-hmm. and we can really bring empathy to the rest of the business who might not be used to thinking in like a user centered way or a bit removed from their own customers. But I I wouldn't go around going look. Hundred percent people said this. That's just dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And、exactly. I think the other trap you can fall into sometimes is only looking for stuff that didn't work or stuff that disproved what you were thinking. Sometimes it's perfectly valid for an insight to be that you were actually right about something、yeah. or something did work, and、mm-hmm. I think that can be very useful to play back to stakeholders as、yep. well, particularly、yep. those that are less keen、Start、on the idea of research. Start with positives, one or two of those, and then about eighty negatives. It's not like actually Chris Mears is presenting. Is it like the shit sandwich? No, because I don't bother with the second slice. I just have the good slice、oh, and then the bad filling. That's it. <laughs> you just leave them sour、um, at the end. <laughs> I I reckon as well that if. Going back to the, the 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 topic of research analysis and how do you organize the data, I think it's really important. I think we've said it before, and it's kind of a no brainer. But sometimes you kind of don't think about it as much. Is that you need to find those nuggets of,、um, you know, nice quotes、yep. or things that are really going to support,、yep. especially once you start looking at patterns and themes. You kind of、you、like you start to out,、yeah. really look into、uh, bring it to life, and you know what I used to do as well. Like if I'm recording or something, I just write down the timing of that particular nugget, so it helps. So you don't have to go back through all your recordings, and you kind of go back to the timing and just capture that and put it in your presentation or whatever. Another thing I do is、um, if people are transcribing word, like sort of what we talked about, the word for word, you know. Control F is so powerful. You just do a search for keywords, and it just comes out, and you get the quotes.、Um, I know it's maybe a bit old school for some people, or a bit more traditional. There might be other software to help you, but it does the job. And it, like Carla, you said, it just really adds that when you're presenting to, I don't know, senior management or senior leadership, it is just so much more powerful to actually show the quotes, and where possible, do mini clips, video clips、yeah. of what happened. You don't even have to say、mm-hmm. it; just make them watch it. The amount of time I've seen、um, the light bulb goes off—it's amazing when they watch the video. Yeah, no, they're like, "Oh, they finally get it." Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's it's like I'll、what? be there going, "This is what they've done." You know, tell the story of what the participant behaved and what they said, but nothing really、um, is as powerful as actually watching them do it. Yeah, that's really cool. I was also looking through some、um, a project in. in Google,、um, and what they do as well in the research teams, they create lookbooks. So they go, let's say, they go field mainly for field research. 
um, they take um, very nice pictures of where they're actually going. Not not very nice, but they take pictures and they get kind of a competition uh, with the teams um, to say, you know, who took the, the better pictures. And what they do is they share that with all the people who couldn't go to the field research or whatever. So they create more empathy um, with the user base that they're designing for. I thought that was quite nice. It's another way of like, you know, uh, communicating the value of research um, and just created empathy between engineering and users. We also like when in one of my clients before my Google life, we tried because we used to do lots of research and they started to, the client started to question like, are we actually getting better? Is our design getting better or getting worse? Mm. And we wanted a way of quantifying that yeah. in some kind of way. And we kind of went back to what the kind of values of the brand were and how we wanted people to feel in certain ways. So when you look at our brand, we want you to like feel safe and whatever. And we kind of picked out some of the key values and get people to do kind of a smile, a smile face or sad face or just neutral face. And then along all the sessions, we could actually count whether or not we were improving in the way we we're delivering the design. I don't like the idea, and I think they're still doing it in that way. So we could you not know, just look at the results of the research, but also how it evolves, mm. if that makes sense. Would you say yeah. Google Life is better than real life? Uh, I can't comment, sorry. <laughs> oh, that is an insight. <laughs> oh, Google Life is great. It's great. What she says yes. and what she does. Yeah. <laughs> down the apple store every night after work <laughs> no i do have a, an apple uh computer though i have a laptop a mac um they call but then mac. i have a pixel phone yeah a mac sorry i just forget um uh yeah but they they allow you to have a mac or an iphone and stuff like that oh, if you wanted them. okay cool i yeah, thought you'd get nice. shot on site if you walked onto the campus with a like an iphone or whatever no no everyone like, a lot of people have iphones i have a pixel just because i even before i joined google i had a pixel as well yeah you've never mentioned it before have we gone off topic yeah i think so. <laughs> no you're just trying to research uh live at google and i'm trying to resist <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to say, when, Carla, when you were talking about like how do you know your design is improving on that topic, you know, when we touched on about hypothesis and then as part of that, you, the way you define it is what is an acceptable behavior or outcome. And then, you know, you might be like, we're looking at reducing core volume or whatever. And then you can actually mm. s start tracking those measures throughout the project or sprints you're doing well once the design mm -hmm. have gone out has that actually happened and then you know in a way whether you have delivered value yeah that's true that is a that's a good way of doing it as well i mean we also came up with the idea of some heuristics of okay we want the designs to be this this and that and measure that in every session um mm. but at the end with are like just make it simple make it smiley face i'm <laughs> very simple yeah because so, then <laughs> by the end of like a session an hour it is quite intense for the participants yeah. all right we got anything else no I, we finally well we did more than 26 minutes Chris. Well, it's half yeah an hour. 30 yeah, minutes so for every extra person we get three minutes extra content <laughs> that's that is not, not a, a great return on investment is it <laughs> excuse me you have not invested <laughs> 
Yeah, I hope like I hope we said something useful, and I think we did. Uh, but if uh, people have more questions or they're not sure about what affinity mapping means, or you haven't seen a affinity map in the past, just contact us, and I'm happy to share some pictures. And I'm sure Chris has lots of them, um, as well as Christina. Yeah, lots of holiday so pictures that. or pictures of my cat. Grouping, yeah. grouping holiday say. photos. Yep. Yeah, you always on holidays. You might have, lo- you, I'm sure you have lots of pictures. Yeah, so when this goes out, I will actually be on holiday. It should right. be very nice. Uh, actually, Chris, do you remember this project we worked on? We did some mind mapping. Uh, yeah, uh, I like mind maps. Mind mapping. The first project we vaguely. worked on. Yeah. Vaguely. That's kind of did like... we work? Did we work on a project before? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How else did I meet you? <laughs> That's a good question. Oh you just God. keep turning up on my podcast. And I've got no idea who you are. I keep dropping by. All right, cool. Um, well, let's wrap this ramble fest up now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we don't need to do any plugs, do we? So we will see you next time. Thank you, Christina. You're welcome. That was fun. See you next time. Bye. Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at Design Untangled. Become a better designer with online mentoring at uxmentor.me.